In 2022, a crack-riding duo was sent to prison for podcasting crimes that they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security prison to the Austin Underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as game masters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find their website, maybe you can hire Retro Arcana. We join our hosts now as they enter the elevator at the Top Secret Podcast Bunker. Bobby? Bobby. Bobby. Uh, Jeff? Dude. Jeff, is that you? Uh, yeah? Why are you asleep in the elevator? Where have you been? We were supposed to have a podcast out weeks ago. Did you know this elevator doesn't go down unless there's two people in it? No, I didn't know that. Is it a security precaution or something? I don't know. All right. I know is I've been here waiting for you for weeks. Dude, I've been trying to hack up a lung. I've been sick. I've still got a little bit of a cough, but I can't believe you've been sleeping in the elevator. And what, have you been living off Gatorade? Look at all of this. Uh, uh, that That's not Gatorade. Um, oh, man, really? You know, we don't even have cell reception here. My family hasn't seen me for weeks. So uh, are we going to catch up on this podcast thing? Let's. I, All right. I really, I really want to go home. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to try to avoid knocking over any of your not Gatorade bottles here and hit the button. Wow. That elevator goes a lot quicker when we're not talking about books. That's weird. Let's get started. Welcome to the Retro Arcana podcast. Thanks for joining us in the secret podcast bunker for the first episode of 2023. Now that the holidays are over and hopefully we're all feeling better, we're back in the saddle again. Both Jeff and I are excited for what the year has in store for the gaming community. With that, today we're going to talk about the CR24 Ancient Red Dragon in the Room, the OGL announcement. We're going to give a brief overview of the OGL, the response, and then we're going to discuss why, despite all of the worry, we're actually kind of excited about this. So we're going to talk about the news and we're going to sum it up because there's a lot of places you can go to get much more detailed analysis. But basically, uh, there was a leak from Wizards of the Coast that presented their OGL 1.1. And then there was a version 2, and then a proposed 1.2, and they've all caused a massive wave in the game creator community. We're not going to use our time to focus exclusively on the negative. We feel that's already been covered enough. Instead, we're going to do a condensed version of the news so we can focus on what we're excited about. So, condensed history of the OGL. Back in the year 2000, in the year 2000, Wizards of the Coast released the original open gaming license. 
So according to interviews with Ryan Dancy, one of the minds behind the OGL, the idea was to make the game system open so that third-party publishers would create adventure modules, traditionally projects with a low profit margin because only DMs bought them. The side effect of this was, of course, the explosion of D20 products in the early 2000s and the birth of many companies, some of which are prominent today. The OGL version released for fourth edition of D&D was the GSL, which had very different terms. This led to third-party publishers largely skipping the GSL and Paizo's creation of Pathfinder to continue in the spirit of the original OGL. So Watsi went back to the OGL model with fifth edition, seemingly having learned their lesson. Seemingly. With the release of the leak and the massive explosion that it caused watsi created even more problems by just being silent for go almost two weeks and now we don't really want to talk about all of the anger and confusion watsi created with their silence there are many online personalities that have already covered this extensively um, the one thing that we, or the only thing that we want to say is this, people are worried. Their livelihoods are at stake, particularly the, the content creators. There are publishers who are still waiting to see how the dust is going to settle before they make a decision. Now, Watsi's communication doubled down after the initial leak, their first main reply kind of doubled down with what seemed to be verifiable untruths in more than a degree of flippancy, which damaged their credibility further. So in their latest replies, they have felt sort of more earnest. The specific messaging from Kyle Brink, D&D's executive producer on 18 January, actually felt like someone who knew the industry and was going to step in and make decisions. Wizards of the Coast announced that they were going to run OGL information through a polling system similar to their unearthed Arcana and one D&D playtest, but also tried to address many of the concerns for content creators. A few days later, they released the proposed OGL 1.2. Two important points of note about this version. So first, the core rules of D&D being placed into a Creative Commons license. This would take the licensing completely out of Wizards or Hasbro's hands and place it with the entity in overall charge of the Creative Commons project. So the rules would then be truly open to everyone, and there would be no grounds for which to take legal action based on the use of those rules. But Wizards is still insisting that they are going to deauthorize or turn off the original OGL 1.0 or 1.0a, so it will no longer be available for future publication. Now, they clarified that, uh, now remember, this is layman language. This isn't actually in a legal document yet. But they clarified that everything published under OGL 1.0a is going to be fine. You can continue to publish things that have already been published as of the date this new license takes effect. But you can no longer publish anything new under that OGL 1.0a which really puts creators in a tough position because if their core book is already out, it means they can continue to publish it, but they can't create any support material. Now, there's been a 
pretty pretty strong response from the creative community who have published under OGL 1.0a. Um, and this response is, you know, it's best uh, encapsulated by Paizo's response. They have decided to create what's called the Open RPG Creative License, which is known as the ORC. And uh, they've got 1,500 additional RPG publishers listed as supporters. Um, and that's just that's just as of the the last release they did with the the numbers, which was I believe yesterday. It, this list has big names on it. There's Chaosium, Evil Genius Games, Fantasy Grounds, Frog God Games, Gale Force Nine, Goodman Games, Green Ronin, Cobalt Press, Mongoose Publishing, Monty Cook Games, Pelgrane Press. Pinnacle Entertainment Group, Troll Lord Games, and Ulysses Spiel. A lot of these names got their start with with uh, publishing under the OGL. So, Orc is being drafted by Azora Law's Brian Lewis, who was one of the original law professionals behind the original OGL. Lewis and team will create Orc with the intention of turning it over to a nonprofit entity to steer and safeguard it so that no single game company has the authority Watsi assumes it has over the original OGL. Orc is being worded to be both perpetual and irrevocable, so that the proverbial rug may not be pulled out from under publishers in the way that it seems to be going on this time. So Palladium has notably offered to license their system for the first time in a public statement. Now, this has happened before with the Manhunters IP for Rifts, but never before have they put out a general call. They're explicitly not joining Orc at this time, but when even Palladium comes out, you know you've done something to the industry. Now we're going to go and talk about the what we see as the silver lining. This is our hopeful wish. The Gaming Renaissance 2.0. The first Gaming Renaissance arguably happened with OGL 1.0. Think about the glut of, or if you were from that time in gaming in that time, think about the glut of new content we got for use with D&D and all of the publishers that were introduced. I mentioned uh, Green Ronin, Sovereign Press, Goodman Games, Necromancer Games, and of course, Paizo. They all got their the, the ball rolling with that, and they split off and did their own thing when D&D 4E was pu uh, published. Um, all those names or I'm sorry, not all those names, but many of those names are on the list for Orc. Paizo, obviously the biggest on that list. First thing I think we're going to see with this gaming renaissance is material originally written for the D20 rules or rewritten for new game systems. We're going to see uh, new game mechanics or at least reinterpretations of existing game mechanics. That it really excites me uh, as an amateur ludologist. This makes me extremely happy. I want to see how game designers reconcile their game's uh, world, their game's fiction, with the game mechanics to see if they can make their products ludonarratively consistent. And this actually it's kind of a big uh, bright point for me is games that don't do that. I want the game's fiction to be represented by the rules or at the very least have the rules not come into conflict with the with the fiction. So 
the second thing I think we'll see is an influx of new players to other games. Yeah, and Watsy did a great job of that, getting new players into gaming by making their game accessible through some of their acquisitions like D&D Beyond. Paizo's working on their own version of this called Pathfinder Nexus, and other games are releasing their rules to SRD. I foresee a, a transfer of players between different rule sets. So existing games will get another look, as it's a common phenomenon for players who came in on 5e to only want to play 5e. It's pervasive enough that game masters have been lamenting and memeing it for a few years now. With a sudden backlash against official D&D, many of these games that existed but were passed over in favor of 5e are now being considered. Um, some companies have really kind of leaned into this. Free League offered their gorgeous for, uh, Forbidden Worlds box set for half price. You could actually buy the box set for less than it costs to buy the player's handbook inside it. Uh, Paizo's Pathfinder rules are and always have been 100% online. Savage Worlds has seen an influx of players. Um, YouTubers that were formerly focused on Dungeons & Dragons are now suggesting alternate games, and in one notable case, changing their taglines from D&D to RPGs. Um, and out-of-print versions of D&D are also resurging in popularity among some players, all of which are readily available on Drive-Thru, DMs Guild, or even as retro clones like Old School Essentials, Osric, and many others. Just today, Bobby and I took a dive into Drive-Thru RPG sales to see what products are in the top two tiers, and there's a lot of vintage D&D in those top two tiers. I really think we should do a, an episode in the future, maybe maybe not next episode, but the one after, where we kind of give a, a really deep down look into what kind of things we're seeing in drive through RPG. I agree because I was fascinated by the mixture of products. So you saw first edition, second edition, and my personal favorite, old school D&D basic, and retro clones thereof hovering in the same sales space as brand new games and game designs like Cyberpunk Red or um, The Witcher or um, Stars Without Number, Worlds Without Number, which are themselves retro clones. But uh, there's all this new stuff, like uh, Mongoose Traveler's 2022 update, inhabiting the same space as old stuff, implying that there's a lot of crossover there. It's not this grognards versus modern players narrative that we see a lot online. There's actually interest in both at the same time. And bear in mind, the two categories Bobby and I are talking about are the top roughly one half of 1% of all products on drive-thru. So I do think we should do an episode on that. I think it would be really interesting. Now with all of the talk about, you know, all these, this fantasy system and the, the OGL, Jeff and I kind of put our heads together and we were thinking about what our kind of top three non D and D fantasy games. were, And we came up with, we came up with short lists for, for each of them. So my, my first pick on this list is a game called Fantasy Age. And I love this because it's got a very innovative stunt system. My, my second uh, choice on this list is uh, actually from a friend of mine called The Kethos Project. Talk about 
immensely detailed history and world building that went on in that in that game and that and that uh rule set is available for savage worlds and uh d20 although i think he's been i think the the creator's been kind of scared away from d20 with all of this that's going on right now and then for my third pick i've got dungeon crawl classics and just i just love the this the magic system and the fatal funnel are just a sheer amount of fun for me jeff what are your picks um, so my three picks, my first one is Earth Dawn because it takes classic D&D tropes and makes them exist in game. Your class is is an order of magical profession, basically. So you know what your class is. You know what your level is within that class. Why are there dungeons? The history tells you why these magical bomb shelters were built. It's It's a very cool game and it really makes the tropes work. My second choice is Against the Dark Master, which is itself sort of a retro clone of the old Rollmaster and Middle-Earth role-playing games. It decouples species and culture, which I really like, so that your default dwarf isn't necessarily a miner and jewel crafter. It's only that way if you decide to couple that culture with that species. Um, plus it's got some great combat tables. I mean, the critical hit tables are hilarious. My third choice is old school essentials. My first love and, and still one of my favorite role-playing games of all time is basic D and D as it existed in the eighties. Old school essentials takes the BX dungeons and dragons restates the rules in a much clearer and better organized way and puts them out in a in your choice of a pair of hardcovers one for the player one for the dm or a box set where each book covers a different aspect of the game so if one player needs to look up spells you can hand just the spells book to that player while someone else is referencing equipment or rules which is kind of cool um the last thing i want to say about old school essentials is they issued an advanced set which doesn't really make the rules any more complex, but it adds all the options you expect from the quote-unquote advanced version of the game, allowing you to do species and class as separate things and allowing you to add things like rangers and paladins and bards that weren't necessarily in basic D&D. It's really worth a look. Oh, and also, I, I can't make this one of my recommendations because I haven't actually absorbed it and played it yet, but that Forbidden Lands box set I talked about earlier that Free League had on half price, I just got my copy of it and it's gorgeous. The books have leatherette covers with a little bit of like gold filigree. There's a couple of ribbons in the book to help you mark your place. And what's even cooler is they provide you with a map and a set of stickers so that when a character is killed in an adventure, you can mark where their grave is. You can mark specific adventure sites. It, it's sort of like one of those legacy board games where the map changes as you play. And so this allows your players to change the game world in significant ways. Um, I think it's going to be really neat, but as I haven't played it yet, I can't really give it a review. So as we come to the end of our episode, we want to reiterate that we're focused on the positive. Sure, this entire kerfluffle is endangering the livelihood of some of our favorite creators. Many of them are hanging on the ultimate outcome before they commit to a course of action. But in the midst of all of this, 
Wizards of the Coast seems to have kicked the proverbial anthill of creators. So many individual creators and companies have come out with new ideas, new game announcements, and as the orc shows, it's even caused a coalition to form to try to ensure this never happens again. Cobalt Press has led the charge with their Project Black Flag, an explicit attempt to establish an open source rule set that is open in perpetuity. Game systems that were not previously on the table for third-party creators, like Mongoose Traveler 2, the 2022 edition, and even Palladium, are available in one way or the other. We're looking at another creative explosion, the likes of which we haven't seen since the original OGL. And before that, the golden age of the 80s, as so many RPG gems found their way onto shelves and into hearts. So while this sucks mightily, and it's done a lot of damage, there is a silver lining, and that is so many creators being galvanized into action. What games will we see come out of this? We're as eager as you are to find out and to contribute a designer three. We'd like to thank you very much for listening to the Retro Arcana podcast. If you like this content and want to see more, put Retro Arcana in your GM's toolkit by hitting the subscribe button. You can also reach out to us on our website, www.retroarcana.com, or hit us up on Twitter at RetroArcana. I'm Bobby. And I'm Jeff. And may your dice roll high. Unless you're playing GURPS. <laughs>